Welcome to Tres Cuentos. Today we continue our journey through stories about power. Today's cuento comes from the faraway and mystical land of Colombia in South America. And the sources of this cuento are the books, myths, legends, and folk tales from Latin America by Lulu de Lacre, Colombian Myths and Legends, an adaptation by Fabio Silva, 1491, New Revelations of the Americas Before Columbus, by Charles C. Mann, Brief Story of Colombia, by Jorge Orlando Melo, and The Expedition of Gonzalo Jiménez de Quesada Down the Magdalena River, by Jorge Augusto Gamboa. You can follow Tres Cuentos, the literary podcast dedicated to the traditional narratives of Latin America, on Facebook. As well, you can subscribe to our website, trescuentos.buzzsprout.com. Also, you can now find us in the following directories, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and iVox. My name is Carolina Quiroga Stoltz, and now I invite you to pay careful attention to the following cuento. Perhaps you'll find yourself reflected in it. Gaily bedight, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow, had journeyed long singing a song in search of El Dorado. But he grew old, this knight so bold, and o'er his heart a shadow fell as he found no spot of ground that looked like El Dorado. And as his strength failed him at length, he met a pilgrim shadow. Shadow, said he, where can it be, this land of El Dorado? Over the mountains of the moon, down the valley of the shadow, Ride, boldly ride, the shade replied, if you seek for El Dorado. The words of Edgar Allan Poe. Centuries ago, many Europeans believed that somewhere in the New World, there was a city of gold. Most of the men who came in search of this extraordinary place died. They were either killed, committed suicide, or lived a miserable life. That is why many assumed that only a valiant or a fool could find El Dorado. After many expeditions, those Europeans concluded that this place full of riches had to be located somewhere in what is today Colombia. Because there were rumors about a tribe of natives that had performed an unbelievable ritual to appease a goddess. They would pour offerings of jewels into a lake. The Europeans thought, What a waste! In the land of the Chipcha people, in between the altitudes where the Andean mountains split, in two mountain chains, the Watabita Lake sits, and in its waters lives a snake. 
the goddess of the lake, who was once a woman named Chie. Chie was the wife of a Sipa, a Chipcha ruler who was very busy with his job, his plans, and his multiple wives. Feeling the husband's neglection, Chie fell in love with a warrior. When the Sipa found out, he threw a party for his wife. Everyone was happy until the main course was served. When Chie looked, it was her lover's head. Chie ran away in tears. Later, she walked into the depths of the Watavita Lake, where she drowned her sorrows and became a snake, the goddess of the lake. The Sipa felt remorse. He went after his wife, but she was gone. The Hekis, or the priests, said that Chia was under the waters, surely deceased. The Sipa sent to retrieve her body, but the snake told them, don't bother. After that, the repentant husband instated a ceremony that was performed ever since, where he sailed to the center of the lake in a raft loaded with offerings to appease his wife. The Sipa would cover himself in golden dust. Then he would pour the offerings into the waters and dive in hopes to meet her. But he always returned alone. Either he did not find her or she refused to come back home. He never said, and this is how he spent the rest of his days. Time passes, and by the end of the 15th century, a ritual to appease a grieving wife had evolved into a ceremony around the crowning of a new Sipa. It was now believed that the goddess of the lake could weigh a man's heart and tell if he was fit to rule or if he should die. By the year of 1505, great excitement reigned in Bakata, the Sipa's house. The Chipchas were thrilled. Baldini, the soon-to-become a new Sipa, appears to be serene and majestic. Although his body was carved in the hustles of war, he owned a gentle and wise heart. His tanned skin shows a certain pallor, a result of a rigorous fast to purify himself for the ceremony. Baldini led the procession that came down the hill. At the shores of the Watavita Lake, four men joined him, a priest, two warriors, and a member of the nobility. A raft loaded with offerings awaited. The Chipchas who were gathered around were wearing their best dresses. The five men removed their robes and were covered with golden dust. The gilded men stepped onto the raft and sailed at last. When they reached the center of the lake, the priest raised a red flag. The solemn moment was about to start. Silence reigned. 
the warriors poured the offerings into the lake to call the snake. Next, the priest raised a white flag. After this, the Chipchas would know if Baldini was meant to rule them or not. Baldini walked forward and took a deep breath. He knew what to tell the goddess, but what if he wasn't flawless? Will he have to stay or will he be blessed to rule for many days? Baldini plunged into the waters and went down into the depths of the Watavita Lake, where Chie awaited. Outside, the four men on the raft could only see circles on the surface of the waters. Minutes passed. The Chipchas began to wonder if they needed to find a new Sipa. His visit to the goddess of the lake was taking longer than usual. When people began to ask each other what they should do, Baldini emerged triumphantly. Oh, everyone was relieved. They truly respected and admired Baldini. Now, with the goddess blessings, the festivities could begin. The Chipchas celebrated with drinks, food, competitions, music, dances, and of course, stories. The people were overjoyed, yet they all ignored that Chi had delivered a bad omen. The world would soon be over, and Baldini had to play a crucial part if he wanted them to last. About 20 uneventful years passed until one day the Sipa heard rumors of a strange group of bearded men coming from the east in search of treasures and disturbing the peace. This expedition was led by Gonzalo Jiménez de Quesada, an ambitious Spaniard determined to succeed where others had failed. He was in search for El Dorado. The legend had remained. A neighboring kingdom of the Chipchas revealed to Quesada about the strange ceremony the Chipchas used to perform to appease a goddess. Quesada requested a meeting with the Sipa and demanded all the riches they had. Baldini promised to deliver them under one condition. The Chipchas needed three days to gather all that. Oh, Quesada dreamed in the light. El Dorado was his at last. However, by the end of the third day, Quesada was enraged. The Chipchas did not show up. Oh, they would meet his wrath. With his army of conquistadores, Quesada erupted into the Chipcha's kingdom, but no one was around. Not even the frogs stayed behind. The Chipcha's vanished. What a dishonest kind. Quesada, the conquistador that came closer to El Dorado than anyone else, died in poverty at an old age. Indeed, over the centuries, many attempts to drain the waters of 
the Watavita Lake had been conducted. But every time, a natural disaster followed, and many died. It is said that from under the waters, Chie, the goddess of the lake, still guards like a mother does her sons and daughters, because they were always the true treasure that was worth it to last. Y colorín colorado, este cuento se ha acabado. Very well, dear listeners, let's talk about the story. Today, I will talk about two men that went in search of this legend. But first, let's talk about the Chipchas. The Chipchas were located in what is today Colombia and were conquered in the year of 1538. The Chipchas are often confused with the Muiscas. The Muiscas were the largest group pertaining to the Chipcha family, who were a group of city-states similar to the Incas. There are accounts of the spectacular ritual they performed once a year, where the chieftain, whose body was coated with golden dust, he would row out in a canoe or raft loaded with gold and jewels. Then he would bathe in the waters until the gold was washed away. Similar rituals were performed in other lakes, such as Iguacue, which was a sacred place believed to be the place from which Bachue, the mother of the Muiscas, had come out, carrying a child that later became her husband. But that is another story. So, the anecdote of the chieftain being coated with golden dust and then going into the waters to wash it away became the legend of El Dorado. But my theory is that most of the conquistadores already had preconceived ideas of rich and fantastic kingdoms awaiting to be discovered by this adventurous man that, of course, would have to defeat some terrible monsters and endure treacherous odysseys, ideas that were passed down through their own folklore, the travels of many sailors and explorers in the past, and, of course, from the wars against the Moors or the Arabics. And if we add to these deliriums the conquest of El Peru, that is the Inca kingdom, with all its riches, well, of course, that led to many to think that there had to be more magnificent kingdoms waiting for this adventurous and brave men to conquer them. And one of those men that had dreamed of being immortalized was no other than Gonzalo Jiménez de Quesada. Quesada was appointed by Pedro Fernández de Lugo to explore the Magdalena River until he could reach Peru. In truth, they thought that the Inca Empire and its riches were just down the river. So, about 800 men were appointed. 600 of them would go on foot following the route the last expedition had taken. 
while the other 200 would go on boats. Both groups were supposed to meet in Sompayón and continue together from there. By April the 6th, on 1536, the expedition left from Santa Marta, north of Colombia. Quesada departed with 600 men from the Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta, where they had to defend themselves from hostile groups. However, along the way, the expedition made some allies, who became their interpreters. But the locals were not their only concern. The unknown climate, the diseases, and wild animals also took a toll on the Spaniards and the natives who had joined them. Finally, they made it to Sompayón and met the men who had sailed on boats. Together, the expedition continued, following the same route. But still, some men did it on foot and the others on boats. In the meantime, the rains, the mosquitoes, and the snakes did not give anyone a break. Hunger was lurking, even though they were able to plunder different local tribes. But after eight miserable months, the Spaniards understood that this was not the path to Peru, to the Inca Empire. Nonetheless, when they were considering going back is when they heard rumors of another place full of riches. It was not going to be the Inca gold, but it could turn out to be a good substitute for it. About 210 miles from the river, the expedition noticed something unusual. The native villages they met by the river did not consume the same type of salt as the other villagers they had previously met. These new villagers did not trade the salt coming from the sea. Instead, they traded granulated salt shaped in blocks with other tribes that lived up in the mountain range. From up there also came fine painted blankets. All these merchandises gave the Spaniards the idea that there had to be a highly developed community producing them. At this point, the tired expedition had less than 400 men. It was in the year of 1537 that the conquistadores took the road to the mountain chain through the Opon River and arrived to the high plateau Cundiboyacense, where they met the Muiscas, and a cruel war was fought. The Spaniards won, but only 170 men survived. It was on top of the Chipcha Kingdom that the Spanish established the cities of Santa Fe, later Bogotá, today the capital of Colombia, and the cities of Tunja and Vélez. Most of the stories have already been romanticized, just like the one you heard, but the truth is that it was most likely the wars and the diseases brought by the Spaniards what truly destroyed the Chipchas. The second person I would like to introduce is Gonzalo Pizarro, half-brother of 
Francisco Pizarro, the conquistador of the Inca Empire. Since Gonzalo was a troublemaker, his half-brother, that was now governor of Peru, thought he could give to the restless brother something to do to keep him busy. So Francisco convinced Gonzalo to go in search of El Dorado. In 1541, Gonzalo left Quito, leading an expedition of approximately 280 Spanish soldiers, 2,000 pigs, and 4,000 highland native slaves. Now, if you're wondering, didn't they get the news about the other Gonzalo? Well, in those times, the news traveled very slowly. And even so, many thought that someone else could get lucky, right? However, soon Gonzalo Pizarro's quest went from an utopian and idyllic search to a calamitous disaster. Since he had no clue where to look, the expedition ended up wandering by the eastern foothills of the Andean Mountains, pretty much by what is today the Amazon rainforest. Within weeks, most of the horses had died. The native slaves also fell ill due to exhaustion and the humidity of a hot foreign land. Still, the expedition kept pushing into the thick forest. Since they couldn't find villages to plunder, they ended up eating the pigs, later the dogs, and finally, lizards. So, when most of the men were sick, the second-in-command, Francisco de Orellana, suggested to Gonzalo that they should split up. Orellana's group would go up the Napo River by boat, while the others would continue the current route on foot. History tells us that after nine days, Orellana found food. But they never came back for Gonzalo and his men. As a result, Gonzalo gave up and went back home. And of course, those two, Gonzalo and Orellana, became mortal enemies. But that is another story. And this is all for now. Tres Cuentos warns you to reconsider those ambitions based on fantasies or dreams of heroic adventures. In reality, they are not as glorious and fancy as they look in the movies. Next time, we will travel to Guatemala to listen to the story of a forbidden love where religion and racism forced two lovers to make a drastic decision. Until the next cuento. Remember to give us a like on Facebook or subscribe on our website trescuentos.bazosprout.com and follow us or leave us a positive comment in any of the directories where you listened to Tres Cuentos, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or iVox. We are looking forward to hearing from you. Tres Cuentos is a creative exercise of researching, writing, and retelling. Proof listening, proof reading, and the reading of the poem by my good friend Don Heimel. 
The music and sound effects were downloaded from the YouTube audio library in freesound.org. The list of credits and the sources of this story can be found in the transcript. Thanks for listening. Adios, adios. Thank you.